Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning into the Gravity Podcast. I have a couple of things to share with you before we jump into the episode. Number one, and most importantly, we've noticed an uptick in listeners to the podcast this year, so I want to take a second to welcome new members to the Gravity community and let you know how much I appreciate you choosing to spend some time with me each week. This grand experiment only gets more meaningful as we add more experiences and perspectives to it. Second, I want to let you know that we're taking a little break this summer in order to refresh and relaunch the entire show this September. In the meantime, please enjoy this replay of some of our top episodes over the last three years. Everything's like a chapter, and you get to this age, and you've had so many uh, chapters that uh, uh, you go back into some of the early ones and said, if I had only known, I would have done it this way. All right, Jim, this is awesome to have you here. We are here with Jim Grody, the founder of Donato's Pizza and so many other things, which I am uh, excited to get into and talk about with you today. You have been, you have become a good friend. I really sincerely value your friendship. It's kind of funny how we how we connected and, and we'll get into that. But I just, you know, I think from kind of the moment we met had felt some kind of really uh, beautiful connection. And there's not a time that goes by where I don't sit down with you and just feel uh, so energized and, and enlightened and excited to just uh, be with you. So that's how I feel right now. And uh, just thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, Brett, you know, the feeling's mutual. We, we, uh, we're a generation apart or so or more, but, uh, um, I think ideas and, uh, goals sometimes are not, uh, uh, generational, but, uh, maybe universal, universal. And, uh, and, uh, uh, right from the get go, we're, we're both searchers looking for, for answers, uh, with coming from, how we grew up and where we were, you know, how we were raised and what disciplines, uh, uh, at least religious-wise, that we followed. So, uh, yeah, so we have a, uh, we, there's a lot of resonance in what you're doing and what you're thinking and so on. So I learn, I learn a lot from you as we keep on talking. Yeah, well, uh, it's, it's uh, flattering and, and, you know, humbling to be able to contribute something to you knowing just how much you have really kind of committed to and been involved with, you know, over a long time. And we, we had met uh, just, you know, for our audience, you know, through uh, the Gravity Project, I think initially there was an interest in, in you know, collaborating there, but our, our, our kind of, you know, ultimate meeting in my mind, my recollection was, as I was sitting at Abundance 360 um, and the lights were about to go down and there was one seat left at the table and me not knowing a single person in the room uh, and you uh, kind of... Also not knowing a single person. <laughs> yeah, and, and sitting down at my table uh, and, and, you know, that was kind of, I think, the beginning of deepening our friendship and uh, still a, a real kind of... Uh, bright memory and uh, yeah. yeah, I think we're the only 
two people from uh, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Or maybe Ohio, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> so that, that felt certainly synergistic. But you know, what I was really fascinated with um, as I got to, to get to know you was that, you know, you have what, you know, some people might know of as um, a pizza company. You know, you, you grew up in, in Columbus on the South Side. And I don't think many people really understand kind of the depths of which you are thinking and engaged and what's really underneath all of it. You've, you've been just, I mean, from, you know, the work you're doing out at Esalon and, and um, Agape Capitalism, and there, there's so much to kind of talk about there. I, I've just been so fascinated with kind of who you really are um, that most people probably don't know. And, and I want to have you kind of talk through a lot of that, but I'd like to kind of start at the beginning and, and really understand, you know, kind of how your life's journey has gone. It's kind of led you into all of that work. If you don't mind, you know, maybe you could just kind of share a little bit of your kind of earliest memories, childhood kind of, you know, how it was to be brought into this world. Yeah, hopefully not to bore you. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, well, it all started at Mount Carmel Hospital down the street. Uh, that's when I was born. It was uh, really, really tumultuous. I mean, going through that dark channel and so on. So mm-hmm. I finally, uh, <laughs> finally was born. That, 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 that's mm-hmm. where it all started and, mm-hmm. and uh, could see the light. Mm-hmm. But uh, just uh, uh, seriously, I was, uh, I was raised Catholic. Very, my parents were very devout. They, um, my dad always worked two jobs, it seems, and uh, and my mom was stay at home and um, just uh, just really hardworking uh, German German couple uh, coming through the the depression, pretty risk adverse, but uh, very devout in their faith, not in a preaching way. They they just lived it, and uh, so I'm one of five kids, and uh, so we get to. We had a fortune. We were fortunate enough to have parents that just not only did we learn it at school, but we learned it at home as well, and it was backed up. So, with that background, um, I was very impressionable as uh, going into uh, school and almost uh, uh, as devout as my parents. It, we didn't really, really didn't have uh, much. There wasn't much money around. Dad was always working and. And uh, mom was always, I was going to the grocery store with her and she, uh, she was always picking up the, the cans and looking at the prices and say, oh, my dad's name was Harold. And she was so upset that Harold might get mad because these beans were 29 cents a can instead of 30, you know, where, mm-hmm. where she might've got them for 25 cents, but really, really watching the pennies and mm-hmm. so on. But um, my dad actually went into... Uh, the grocery business, and he by trade is a butcher. So he and his brother started up a, a business uh, called Grody's Market, uh, actually on Riverside Road many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, that didn't, uh, it didn't work out with him and his brother. So he took the store, he bought the store, and then went on Hudson and High. And so early on, um, we, I would, when I was eight years old, I'd go up there and, and uh, stock shelves and so on and help out in the grocery <laughs> store. And then, uh, yeah, you know, that's they, they were, you know, my mother was helping out and, and uh, going up on Sundays as well as a family. 
uh, all, all of us that were still home was help, were helping out. Mm-hmm. But um, it turned out, you know, I remember the day where they, um, you know, they were counting out their pennies and uh, dad just looked up and said, we're going to have to close the grocery store. And uh, he really wanted my brothers to be involved and my sisters. And, you know, they were, they were not very interested. And so I said, well, you know, I said, I, you know, I can help out, you know, and I, I was a little young, but. Uh, you were how old? I was about eight. But, uh, so, but, but, uh, well, that says something. I mean, I think that's interesting, <laughs> right? Like that's where your mind was at eight that yeah. you, you could help out. Yeah. Grody and son is what he wanted. And, uh, anyway, dogs, well, I could do that, but, uh, things were tough. So they closed the, uh, um, closed the business and, and there was a sadness there that, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't think I realized until later, uh, about how much you put into your business. And, and then it fails. Oh, what a devastating thing that can be. And uh, I think it affected my father, uh, you know, for the rest of, for, I shouldn't say the rest of his life, but uh, he was always working two jobs. He was recovering from, from that and paid for the house and so on uh, with, the, with the jobs. But and did you notice, you know, when you say it, it affected him, did, um, aside from having to work the, the two jobs, how else you know did that kind of impact your experience well it was um it, he was he was working a lot i mean it it uh, to uh, support uh, all the all the kids and so on um it, you know they ate a lot <laughs> so <laughs> yes they did yeah we all ate a lot yes. and uh, ate a lot drank a lot of milk and mm-hmm. but uh, yeah he uh, he was just it seems like I would just catch him staring off into space. And I said, I wonder what he's thinking, you know, and, but he never talked about it, but it almost like he felt a failure to maybe what his dream was and, and, and to the family even. Um, and I registered these feelings later as I, I, I look back and remember that, but I had this um, urge to uh, work our, because we were, we didn't, we didn't have any extra money. So I felt if I could carry papers or, do something to, you know, maybe if nothing else, I could, uh, uh, you know, help out with just some, f- not food, mom didn't take it from food, but my own allowance and so on. So I started carrying papers when I was 10 and my brothers were carrying uh, early on too. So we all had paper routes and so on. And paper routes were, uh, in those days, you, uh, it was a great, it was my best experience in the free enterprise system. Uh, even though you're pretty young, you, uh, you got your papers and uh, you had to pay for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then you delivered them. Uh, you actually, you delivered them and then you had to pay for them as you collected the money. And if you didn't collect the money, you had to go to dad and borrow and so on. So you became very persistent as a paper, mm-hmm. as a paper carrier. So um, that, that was a great experience. I learned a lot about life at the paper station. And um, I said, boy, someday it sure would be nice to have a job that pays by the hour. And, mm-hmm. uh, after a few years carrying papers, the pizza place opened down the street real early on. Uh, it was called Size Pizza. And um, so I, uh, I hung around the place. You know, they were um, just opening and so on. And um, they said, well, you know, you, you keep coming in. And f- would you like to work? You know, and mm-hmm. so I was, I was 13. <laughs> and I said, I sure would. And, and so I think it was like 50 cents an hour or 55 cents an hour, you know. What were you doing? Well, I, as, as it was, it was, I was learning to do what, uh, 
was was going to be uh, some companies built off of it. But uh, I was slicing pepperoni mm-hmm. with a stick of it with a paring knife, one slice at a time. And uh, these little grinders that uh, was home, all, all the equipment was what uh, the, the two owners brought from home. They were just starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And uh, so little, sh- uh, little shredders, graters, and I would do that for hours and hours, you know, and so that, uh, and I was uh, their only, only employee at the time. So they, um, they put together a really good pizza and uh, made their own dough and so on. And both of them were um, um, uh, just, you know, that one was uh, actually, a, he became a pastor later on, but he was uh, very uh, into his church and the other uh, was, you know, good guy. Both of them are very honest guys. And, uh, but they didn't get along because one put on a lot of toppings and another uh, was skimpy. And so <laughs> I saw firsthand a lesson uh, that if you put a lot of toppings on more people buy your pizza, that's because uh, mm-hmm. he did. I, I managed <laughs> when I was 14, I was managing the stores on their night off. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, here the, the, when the guy put a lot of toppings on, uh, he was so busy. I was busy that night. I was yeah. working for him. Yeah. And the other guy, you know, he's the one that said, you know, uh, take three slices of pepperoni off enough pizzas and you'll have enough for one free one. So, you know, keep, you know, watch, uh, watch out. And yeah. you might want to water down the sauce a little bit and get a little extra out of it. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, his nights, yeah, they were, there were not very many people coming in. So, yeah. uh, and then the other guy was uh, really friendly, humorous, uh, trusted all of us and so on. And uh, so they split up. And then when I was 15, not quite 16, they, they wanted to sell the place because they weren't getting along on their strategies there. So uh, they asked me if I, wanted to, if I wanted to buy it, you know, and they said, you are our first employee. And, uh, you know, they were doing a real nice business. And fortunately, I'd learned a lot about it. And uh, so I went over to get my dad and I says, hey, uh, dad, uh, I get a chance that we can buy this pizza place for, it was $11,000 back in 1958, you know. And, and I'm just curious just to, you know, interrupt you for a second. Um, I mean, I have a 16 year old and an 18 year old and uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's so interesting to think that they obviously thought enough of you. It, it's It's not like, you know, based on what you described, that they, they thought, you know, well, this kid's swimming in money or, you know, why, you know, if you think about in today's times, nobody would approach a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old <laughs> as their first option to, hey, do you want to buy my business? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, and I, and I want to hear, you know, what your, what your dad, um, you know, thought and said, you know, when you, when you come to him with this, this business opportunity, but I'm kind of curious, like, what was in your mind, you know, 13 to 16, where you're, you're observing all of this? I mean, even the fact that you're observing these lessons about the toppings and about um, how these guys are getting along and how they're slicing the pepperoni, you know, w- was your head really in the kind of thinking about the future and what was happening here and how it might be a part of your life or you know, m- you know, my, my um, kids are thinking a lot about um, school and their friends and, and uh, sports and, you know, other kind of kid stuff. You know, where was your head at this point in your life? It is interesting. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I was, I was playing basketball and football and uh, 
and and so my dad, uh, when he uh, got over and 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 uh, my brother was still at home, uh, you know, I said, Dad, we can buy this for eleven thousand dollars. And I'll answer the question in a minute. <laughs> but uh, for eleven thousand dollars, and uh, there's no money down and no interest, we can pay it off in X amount in five years. And for me, this was uh, where you move the decimal points, you know. And I said, geez. And then I was managing, so I learned how to uh, control the cost and so on. And uh, not a lot about payroll and stuff, but uh, but just I said, gee, I, I think I could really do this when they offered offered that to me. I was watching, but I didn't know that. I, I mean, I was observing, but it wasn't for some plan. It was just how do you do this the best you can do it? Mm-hmm. And the one guy, uh, his name was Hollis. He, uh, it, we just really got busy and all the, you know, the techniques, trust was a big thing. Uh, uh, and then being, um, authentic, humorous and generous and, and then just treating people how you'd like to be treated. I mean, it was, I didn't call it all that, but, uh, that's, that's what, that's what to me built that business. And the other guy was skimpy and, you know, I'm saying, well, geez, you know, give, give someone a good product and, mm-hmm. and a fair price. and. And then the, the guys that were working, uh, that was a big deal too. You know, you, you know, there's a discipline there, but uh, you know, there's their kids and they're playing around and all that kind of stuff, which we all did and so on. But so I learned, you know, the the importance of getting the service. I mean, that was as important as as, uh, as almost the toppings were was and so on. But I, I really wasn't uh, wasn't thinking about. Um, in fact, it was a surprise. Like, would you want to buy this? Then I start thinking, thinking about, geez, how would I do that? So anyway, dad said, you know, that's silly. You know, you got to finish high school and you got to go to college. And, and I said, and you're playing football and basketball. And I said, yeah, but I could, uh, I could work the weekends after the games and, and I'd have a little, uh, shoe polish under my eyes where, you know, you use it <laughs> during the game. So the, the lights don't shine in your eyes. I said, you know, but I said, I could uh, work after the games and then maybe during the week, you know, you're my brother could come over and work the, the evenings or the nights. So anyway, he said, that's silly. So um, from then on, I started thinking about running the place as if, if it was mine. Mm. And um, so the guy that bought it was the delivery guy. He so they t- sold it to somebody else. Yeah, to, yeah. to the delivery guy yeah. who, who was delivering there. And uh, he and his father-in-law bought it. But it was just the complete opposite of of uh, the t- other two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was uh, uh, not more lessons. This this was, you know, he wasn't really interested in uh, all the, the product as much and so on. But um, he uh, he was just, you know, going on the business already there and they were busy, but he would come and take money out of the register and, and uh, go to go to the bar and buy everybody drinks and so on. And, and, um, and uh, he, he and his father-in-law, his father-in-law didn't trust anybody. So they would count pizza pans to see if you were, you know, if you were counting, if you were adding in all the, the night's take and so mm-hmm. on, really missed it. Just didn't trust. And, uh, and, and it's interesting about trust. If you're not trusted, it almost makes you wonder, well, I could get away with that if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, it's nice to have values growing up with those values, but not trusting people almost makes makes it feel like, well, they don't trust me anyway. So um, so maybe, maybe and so easy. It was a cash business. It was easy to take money. But um, so those lessons uh, I learned. And then as far as 
the way that that whole business uh, went, spending a little bit too much of the cash and at the bars and so on, um, they uh, they started to go downhill and everything. And by that time, I was in college and uh, I was still working there up until college. And mm-hmm. then uh, I got a chance to get get Donatos and um, then the uh, the, uh, the guy that bought the the size came and asked me if I wanted to buy his store because the business was all going. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I didn't need your store, but I need that. I need your dough mixer. <laughs> mm. So, so tell me, uh, so where were you in school? Uh, I was, uh, after then I was a, a junior then a senior. I worked all through those years mm-hmm. after ball games and so on, making mm-hmm. pizza. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. Still and, worked there. Okay. And so tell me, where did Donato's come in then? How did, how was Donato's, uh, how did it come into your life? Well, um, again, I was working from the time I was actually, you know, just going as a sophomore all the way to uh, sophomore at Ohio State. So I had some real training in pizza mm-hmm. making. So I was uh, looking looking for a place. And um, over uh, not too far from the original uh, was on Ohio Avenue. And that guy was a seminarian. And uh, he wanted to have a place where the kids could hang out. And... Um, uh, have some pizza and so on, and, but it was right next to a bar. So he uh, he made a really nice pizza, and uh, the bar the owner of the bar said he had to leave because the kids were upset and it's business and so on. So he he, um, he he put it up for sale, and a lot of my friends were working for him and so on. And um, and you know I said, well, uh, I heard it was a thousand dollars, you know, or so, and uh, I. I have told my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, this is when I was a sophomore in, high, in, grade, in college, uh, and I was just dating his daughter. And uh, so I told him, I, I, and he was in business. He had a plumbing business, Bauman's Plumbing. And, uh, and I worked there also as digging ditches on, in mm-hmm. summers. Anyway, the I Bauman's said, are still around. Oh, they sure are. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. I've done some business with those guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're plumbers. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, Nick Bauman and uh, was, is still a real good friend of mine. And so okay. But uh, Herman was the, uh, he was, he was a uh, really hardworking guy, common sense. He said, uh, well, what, what, you know, where are you going to go offer this guy uh, anything for the business? I said, I don't have any money. And he says, well, why don't you find out what, you know, what he wants for sure and, and what, what you have to do. And I says, yeah, he's going to give it to his, uh, he's going to sell it to the guys working there. And he says, you don't know that. So, and this is a case of, of um, actually don't assume anything, but he said, well, let's go, let's go down there and ask him. So I went down there and uh, on, on the Ohio Avenue and uh, he, he, so he goes, he says, well, my son-in-law, he said, oh, he's not my son-in-law yet, but, He's, he wants to open, uh, he would like to buy your business and, and, uh, you know, and he's, uh, he, you know, he just wants to, you know, um, he'd been working pizza all this time and he gave him a pretty good story. And, um, and he says, uh, so, you know, how much do you want for it? And he says, well, the first person that comes up with a thousand dollars gets it, but we have to move it. So it turns out he had a, a storeroom where, my first wife was uh, uh, going to put a beauty shop in. She was studying to be a beautician and she was saying, I don't want to do that. 
So he was a little unhappy about that, but he says, hey, we can put a pizza place in there. Mm -hmm. So I borrowed, uh, it was 1300 bucks, borrowed half from Herman and the other half from my dad, who I still don't know where he got the money. And then I moved the place into that little little storeroom and mm. so on. So that was the beginning of Donato's Pizza. Yeah, that yeah. was the beginning. Wow. And, uh, and and just curious to kind of connect some of those dots. So, you know, you think about all of that and, you know, because you and I have talked um, about kind of our more spiritual beliefs around how things are happening uh, for us. Um, how do you kind of, reconcile all reconcile all of that you know that you know we're talking about it in a very um you know uh logical way that you know you started here and then this happened and then that happened and then sure enough there's donatas but you know spiritually you know how does that feel to you now that you know those things were happening you know as as what as they were meant to be or do you have kind of a in hindsight, feeling about how all of that, um, you know, came to be? Well, um, first of all, once, once I actually had Donato's uh, and the deal was done, all the mentors in the, uh, that I knew from the South End, they were uh, owned body shops and they were small businesses. And, um, and they, to the person, including Herman, you know, it says, hey, this business is... Uh, uh, it's dog eat dog, and uh, you get you got to get the other guy before he gets you. And uh, if you don't, uh, you won't succeed. I was still an altar boy until I went into business. So uh, those guys that knew me, they said, "Well, you you, you can't bring those goody two shoe principles with you because you will not make it." So you know, I said, "Well, um, I I've already started," and I says, "And if I can't make it and keep my principles." Then I'm I'm not go, I'm going to get out of business. That would mean business is bad, because you have to treat people. Uh, you have to treat people to take advantage of them, uh, get them before they get you. Um, whatever it takes to to uh, sell sell your product. I said that's I don't have anything to do with that. If I can't do business with principles and make money, I'm just not going to do it. So I spent the rest of this time kind of. To me, keeping the principles without uh, uh, hopefully not giving them up for, like, I think it's been 57 years, keeping principles and being able to make money. And I wasn't sure that was possible then. And, and did that inherent sense of wanting to keep the principles, do you think that came from your religious background? You know, you mentioned you're an altar boy. Where was that kind of deep-rooted core strength that that's how you're going to do it? Despite the fact that all these mentors who really had the business experience were telling you, that isn't how it works. Like, where did that come from? Was it, would you attribute it to religion, to your parents? You know, was it something that was just, you know, kind of spiritually innate in your DNA that you were able to connect to? How do you... um where do you think that came from? Well, I, I do think it was from the upbringing uh, because, like I said, uh, I got a good um, value upbringing uh, in in the uh, Catholic, uh, at least in the first eight years, uh, tradition of of doing the right thing, don't lie, don't cheat, 
uh, treat others how you, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. But my parents backed it up. I went to the store one time uh, and uh, I came back and for I took a 20 and I came back with uh, two tens and the, and the change. And she said, they gave you too much. And I said, yeah, but mom, you got 10 bucks extra. And she said, you take that right back to them and tell them that they gave you too much and, and you know, and uh, make sure you get it to the right person and so on. But all those lessons like that, that mm-hmm. and she, the, you know, that was pretty impressive because they had no money. And, uh, but they didn't get a, they give up their values because of it. Mm-hmm. So those were continual lessons that I learned just from my parents. And then they were living, doing the right thing. So that's, that's, that's what it was going into business. I was going to do the right thing and I was going to treat people how I wanted to be, how they, you know, I'd like to be treated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, in, in, this show and listening to other people's journeys, there, there tends to be some sort of trauma. There tends to be some sort of upset in the home. Um, you know, for you, it sounds like there was a lot of real um, connectedness and there was um, some really strong values that were being shared and, and that you were really building off of. Was there any real uh, upset or, trauma or anything kind of along the way that um, also shaped kind of how you went forward or really was it that you just, you know, got to see your dad's, um, you know, struggle through the business and hard work and a lot of love and, and, and good learning. Yeah, it was, it was you mean with the, uh, the parents and some yeah, of my parents? With your, or, or otherwise, just as your you know, kind of moving through childhood and adolescence and now, you know, kind of stepping into your adult life, you know, in hindsight, was there anything there that, you know, really kind of shaped you outside of this, you know, really kind of loving, good value system? Well, I think that I had a a, a real desire to prove that uh, business wasn't bad because that's what I was, I didn't think it was, but I, I was getting that from all the mentors in that. So the free enterprise system, you know, it was here I was, we didn't have any money. Uh, but if I just dotted my eyes and crossed my T's, got my zoning and, and my food license, I could do business and I didn't have to have any money. I didn't have to be anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to have a degree. I just, uh, I could start into business. And, and I thought that that's great opportunity to come from where I came from because they didn't think about the guys and so on, they didn't think so much about going into business because it never, they didn't know anybody, it didn't enter their mind. So I, just, I really wanted to prove that you can make money and keep your principles and, and you can treat people right. So that was a guiding drive that uh, I had very early. And, and it doesn't always happen. I mean, it's through the years, you know, you, you think you got everything going there and then some something happens and, and you yourself say, man, I did, that was a crappy thing, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, you, you promise great service and, and you don't fulfill it mm-hmm. and so on. And uh, so, you know, and then with all the guys, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we drink beer and drink too much and all that, mm-hmm. but getting to, you know, to the business and the honesty, integrity of it, um, uh, it, it was pretty much if you fail, which happens which happened plenty of times, but not to give, not to lower the bar. 
mm-hmm. but to get but to get up, brush yourself off, and mm-hmm. and go right back at it with your principles mm-hmm. and so on. So so tell me, you know, you're, you're off and running with Donatos, you know, at the, at this point. How does it go for you? I mean, you know, obviously it's been a huge success, and you mentioned that there were failures along the way. But does it does it start to take off quickly? Kind of, what's the trajectory as you're as you're now kind of in the Donato's business? It's it's pretty much the same desire. Is uh, I think no matter what size that we are, that we can keep our principles and do business at any level, and so. T- you know, uh, we did sell to McDonald's uh, back in 2000. And um, and so, sorry, you were, um, first Donato's is in what year? 1963. Okay. And so you're building the business and and how many, I don't know, stores, locations are you, you know, in 2000 when you sell to Donato's? I, or you sell to McDonald's? Yeah, I think we had about 47 or something 47. Like mm-hmm. So it was a gradual, you were building the business, you know, over that, you know, 37-year period, um, right? I mean, mm-hmm. up, ups and downs along the way, you know, kind of how was the experience of building the business to a point where McDonald's is, you know, even on your radar. Yeah, it was it was the the uh, the desire to make a the a consistent pizza, a consistent product, so mm-hmm. that when you when a per, first per, a person first came in for the first time and they got a a, a product that they says, man, this is really good. That to me was a contract, and uh, so every time they come back, they should be able to get that same product and. And so that didn't always happen. So I started work on systems to uh, weigh every topping to make sure not just that you don't put too much on, but you put enough on to make every product the same, exactly the same. And so we weighed them out to hundreds of a pound. We had a, a system of, you know, uh, the way we made our pizzas and, and everything was pretty much uh, exact. And that was for consistency. And that, I, I really believe that is, uh, um, consistency is kind of a boring word, but I believe if you can do that with your products, people, you build your credibility and uh, people, people will continue to, to buy from you. Mm-hmm. So same way with service and everything else. So. so you were just consistently building the business, focused on the quality, um, making sure that you were really growing, but growing the right way. Uh, quality and also with this value system. At one, po- at what point do you see that this kind of golden rule, this you know, really treating people right, having good, strong ethics and values and morals in the business? At what point do you see that? Hey, you know, the the mentors that you know had been telling you otherwise um, were wrong. That like you you are actually onto something. That this could be done. How, how did you know the, that all start to become clear, and uh, what did you do with it from there? Well, um, the just just uh, some of the daily things that went on with uh, young kids and so on that were working there was saying things like if, if my mother would talk, would teach me one time we we would have pepperoni delivered and uh, and they they drop off an extra fifty pounds and and the guys did the same thing they said like my ten dollar mm-hmm. my ten dollar story. They did the same thing. Oh my gosh, we got an extra 50 pounds. And I said, no, you don't. Call the supplier and mm-hmm. tell them 
that we got an extra 50 pounds into charges for it. So just following up on, you know, these principles I'm talking about, uh, they're they're even beyond religion, they're human values. Mm -hmm. And to treat others how you'd like to be treated, uh, the golden rule is in so many disciplines. But um, I mean, you know, in the Christian tradition, uh, uh, Christ would have been a great CEO. I mean, because (laughs) of uh, uh, just that principle alone, uh, is is learning how to treat others, not only your customers and so on, but the people who work with you and also the people that you buy from. We always paid our bills on time. I mean, mm-hmm. in the street, there's nothing worse than have it uh, say, oh, the first thing that uh, a business guy does when he starts working with somebody, he says, well, do they pay their bills? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and to this day, it's, it's, a, it's, we pay our bills when the time comes, whether it's 30 days or whatever the mm-hmm. contract is. And uh, that's the first thing we talked about with mm-hmm. our CFOs, but it's credibility and just doing what you say you're going to do. But that's because I'd like to be treated that way mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So, so this is, this is who you are. This is how you feel comfortable, um, you know, putting your head on your pillow, uh, being in the world. And, 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 and it's also then now starting to show up as a positive in your business. Um, but it's not about like, well, if we pay people on time, then we'll get something out of it. You're, you're just doing what you believe is uh, humanistically the right way to, to live and carrying that over into a business, which, you know, at the time, and, and as simple as that might sound, I mean, you, you make it, you know, sound very simple that it's a humanistic value. And I agree, but often lost in the business world, and um, not not actually something to be undervalued, really. Well, uh, it, the test is, in fact, you can call it the golden test, is uh, treating others how you'd like to be treated. So we would, you know, you'd be late on a pizza and a guy, a guy's, you know, said, well, we were too busy. I said, but how would you like to be treated that way? Is that, would, would you like that? Would you like a pizza that's not done or your product? And mm-hmm. so same way with uh, taking, you know, not mm-hmm. paying your bills. If you were in business, how would, how would you like that? And one of the things that I've, I would learn, you learn, everybody learns about the golden rule is that you treat others how you would like to be treated if you were in their shoes. You take that one step further because there's some things that maybe you would like to be treated, but you're in pretty good shape. So it's not like you don't have food on the table and so on. But if you can get into other people's shoes and start to understand how would you like to be treated if you were in their shoes? So that's another step in the golden rule and the golden question. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, I'm curious to weave in kind of the threads of, of your personal life now as you're you're now growing a business you're you're really you know kind of interjecting your personal values into that business it's working you're having success um, somewhere along the way you start to have a family and I, I think it's you know very important for people to hear that piece of it because you know often when you're starting a business or growing a business and you're hustling and there's all this other stuff going on. Nobody really talks to you much about how to be um, a husband, a father, a CEO, uh, and and all at the same time, 
Um, and all in, in my case and yours, you know, things you've never done before. Right. right? So tell me a little bit about kind of how your family starts to take shape and where that is in all of this. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, it was before I was married. So I wasn't quite 20 when I started. So everything was new to me. And, um, and then I, um, I think, uh, my future father-in-law Herman was, uh, uh, some type of, uh, a, a prophet, but uh, we he he told uh, this uh, the, the fellow that owned Donato's that uh, that we bought it from. He says, and he's going to marry my daughter in six months, and um, and we we end up being married in six months. Now sometimes that sounds like well, yeah, but you know that was you know he had a plumbing business and all that, but I had no intentions of getting married. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> six months later we were, but we were. I was, uh, uh, wasn't old enough to sign for furniture and so on. So all this is brand new. And, uh, by the time I was 23, I had, we had, I had a business and, uh, we had three, 24, we had three kids and the business. And then you just, you know, take the next step, but never given up your principles. Problem, uh, problem is not knowing, um, how, how to handle the growth and everything, I thought I had to be there like a hundred hours a week. And mm-hmm. in those first three weeks, I was, I was almost a year of working hundred hour weeks. Um, but the, but it's not necessary. You know, I can look mm-hmm. back at that. And so being young, not knowing that, um, um, so mom's home with the kids and we were a typical, like, wait till your father gets home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. so I get home at two 30 in the morning and then we, Nancy, mm. it's her Annie. She would line the, you know Annie, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. And uh, she would like get the kids out and say, now, Tom, you, Jane, you tell them what you did today. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. At 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here we are. Well, you yeah. wait till your father gets home. Yeah. So we had that, you know, yeah. old time uh, uh, type of um, uh, re- family relationship. But no, I, um, I, I learned it. I mean, every, everything's like a chapter and you get to this age and you've had, so many uh, chapters that uh, uh, you go back into some of the early ones and said, if I had only known, I would have done it this way. Uh, judgment, uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, of course, time with the kids. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's so great to see the young, young people today, the fathers helping raise the kids. I mm-hmm. mean, it's such a great balance and so mm-hmm. on. So, well, uh, well, tell me a little bit more about kind of, what you would have done differently and you know, would you really have done it differently? I'm, I'm curious because I do know your family and think so highly of everybody. You know, I'm curious what kind of critique of yourself you might have as again, I've kind of gone through my own balance of that, you know, where I, I recently uh, sold some properties and, I came home and told everybody and I said, and that's why I haven't been home for dinner a whole lot over the last few years, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, you know, I think about it a little bit and there are some things that I would have done differently. I would have, um, liked to have maybe been a little bit more present. Um, but you know, it, it also has allowed us to be where we are mm-hmm. and, and mostly, you know, I think for whatever reasons, you know, we kind of have to go through what we're going through so that we can understand, you know, what it is that we maybe, you know, 
can do in the future. I almost said should, but you know, it, it feels like it allows you, know, you allows you, yeah. right? So you, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious to hear your perspective because you know there are some things that we actually you know might advise other people to really do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, was it about the time? Um, you know, what else was it that maybe generationally you were bringing forward that you know you feel um, you would do differently? Well, there's uh, uh, there's no doubt that I was I was uh, when I was going into business I was definitely motivated uh, to make money, um, not but not give up the principles, but to make money, uh, almost to be uh, so almost to become financially independent. I felt like that would allow you to do all the other things that you know you ever might want to do. So I I was, uh, and the other thing is that. Uh, uh, it seemed like nobody listened to anybody unless they had money. So I said, "Boy, I, there's probably some things I'd like to say, but you know, you know, you don't. You, you're just somebody working, and, and that really, you, you don't have any status or anything." And I thought, I said, "Well, um, having you know, I saw this when I was younger uh, that my family would look at a rich uncle, and he was an awful person." But he had money, and they would kind of follow what he was he was uh, uh, talking about. So, um, so I didn't say so. You could have money and do good things with it. But um, uh, it's I, an interesting thing. I mean, just to pause you there for a second, it's like that—that that was the messaging that you took on, and and maybe there was some truth to that—that that money or some sort of statue would like allow you to have um, stature would allow you to have a voice and 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 that being a motivator for you from a from a good place yeah uh, is an interesting kind of learning good or bad i mean it's it maybe it maybe there's truth to that 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 was a motivator yeah and uh i and you know just even going back uh my, my one of the things is like who who are you what's your real interest and so on and my interest is is really doing things, making things, creating things. And uh, so I got up, went from uh, the time I was slicing pepperoni with a paring knife, I got a patent on a machine that puts it on, puts pepperoni on pizza. And uh, anyway, it, uh, the frozen pizza came on, another long story. But uh, so that company is now 47 years old and based on the same principles of the golden rule and so on. So uh well, um, well, since you brought that up, I, I did want to uh, ask you about that because you mentioned, you know, kind of at, at 13 years old, seeing how the pepperoni. And <laughs> I, I don't think a lot of people outside maybe the industry really know um, what you've done outside of the actual pizza business and this kind of like creation piece that, you know, is really inside of you. Uh, tell the pepperoni story. I want to. I want to make sure we 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 share that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, what I learned from that, especially, and I, uh, uh, as I first got uh, into business, I started reading Think and Grow Rich and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Napoleon, Napoleon Hill, Hill yeah. and uh, you know, success through a positive mental attitude, and mm-hmm. and um, but the uh, from a need, a desire. Uh, we needed to put pepperoni. We put a hundred pieces on, so we needed to put it on faster. And so, where it came from, I could I could see this. Uh, I usually get a call in the middle of the night from the universe and says, "Hey, 
you should try this out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. That's mm-hmm. a little simplistic. But um, I would see a picture of a machine running that uh, you loaded it up with uncut logs of pepperoni and slice it over your pizza and it's covered. And I could see it and I says, well, I'm going to get get one of those. But no one had one of those. So uh, from that, I uh, it's amazing. The And that's part of this capitalism is uh, uh, creativity and the power of belief and uh, uh, that can create abundance. Uh, maybe I could go over those rule at the end mm-hmm. and just uh, what where I'm doubling down from yeah. uh, the golden rule. So um, I saw that running and then I would uh, go to, there was a, never knew it, but there was a machine shop down the street. All these things started coming together almost like a magnet that uh, one of the guys worked for us, his dad did sheet metal. Um, I got the prototype working and, uh, you know, and I kept saying to the kids, okay, this is going to be an easy Friday night and it'd break. And, and it, you know, so we had fail fast, all those things you hear about now, that was happening with a pepperoni machine. And uh, that's, you know, it's not a rocket science type of thing. It's a horizontal band blade that you run pepperoni over and they drop on your pizza. Mm-hmm. And there was some luck in there that um, frozen pizza place business took off. And um, guy told me if I could automate it, you're going to sell as many as you can make. Mm-hmm. And I, I, since I didn't know any better, I said, well, I'm sure we can automate, automate it. So mm-hmm. I got it going by itself and then <laughs> built the business around the pepperoni machine. But what I learned from that is if you can see it and believe it, you actually those ideas and thoughts are real things and they're, they're not, they're not manifested yet, but they exist in a space. And I can't, I don't, I can't explain what that space is, but it seems like a space where there's no time, uh, Mm. where, where there's just, it is. And if you believe it and, and you can bring it in, which is, it's such a gift. And I'm, Mm. all of us have that to a different degree. Mm that you can bring it in and, and, and manifest because it's almost like a magnet. But desire is really important. Mm-hmm. A passion for need uh, energizes those pictures and uh, things come to you in synchronistic mm-hmm. ways that you put together and all of a sudden what you saw is, is out in front of you, mm-hmm. you know? So that was a big lesson. Yeah, good. And, and uh, this is great because I want to, definitely get into the um, universe and the uh, synchronicity and, and how this um, kind of goes for you. I want to just put a bow on the pepperoni story because, you know, again, you're, you're a humble guy, you know, and what I think you did was like really revolutionary. So how, how is that machine now being used? Just, just tell me like, you know, kind of in the industry, how revolutionary was that? And, and don't be humble. I, like, I really want to know. Well, I, I think uh, once we got it to work automatically, the early on, the, they were putting pepperoni on pizza and uh, there would be nine people on the line putting three pieces on at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think that pepperoni probably would have maybe gone by the wayside a little bit. So, fresh sausage was big in those days. Mm-hmm. Pepperoni was just coming on. And I think because we could do it fast, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not, it, it, didn't, it was less labor intensive. I think pepperoni actually became really popular in, in the frozen industry mm-hmm. anyway. And, uh, and so, yeah, all around the world, really, uh, if people are slicing pepperoni on pizza, it's usually 
with uh, one of our machines. That's pretty incredible. And and so let's come back to kind of how these ideas come to you. And um, you know, you you had said you know if you can see it and believe it, and and that you're manifesting things into reality and they exist in this space. Uh, I'm curious, kind of what your process is for kind of, kind of like creating the space to allow ideas to come in and deciding how to um, kind of then get into action around them, uh, which ones to choose to act on and, and how you would maybe describe this cycle of kind of you know, letting ideas in and then going into action and letting ideas in, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how that goes for you, but I think it's important to um, maybe describe, you know, how that actually is working. Because, you know, I think a lot of people either maybe aren't open to letting them in or are not putting them into action and haven't totally figured out kind of how that all works. Mm-hmm. There's a feeling I, I, that I or have is that when I see something, I think there's always a better way. And uh, uh, so when I, I might see, it might have been a chair, and uh, and I, you think about you know how how you could how it reclines and how how many other other ones are out there. But if you think there's a better way, then you take what's there and and you say, well, how can I? And you, you're able to do this on your head. So, you know, you don't have to tear, th- I mean, eventually you may tear things apart, but, uh, but you can then take apart and put it over here in your picture. There'd be times at, at, in, at, in the middle of the night when I'd wake up, the machine was still running and I was trying to figure out a way to put uh, a thickness adjustment on it. And, uh, but it was running in that picture. I mean, it was, it was running from the night before. It wasn't plugged into anything, but it was running. And so, uh, but then, then you, when you see something, and you start to say, could it be this way? Could it be this way? And then the direction you take is there's a real satisfaction in, in believing that this, this thing really will, will work. And, uh, and then you, this is in the present a lot too, but then you try it out. I did it in a slower space when I did pepperoni machines and other things, but uh, then you try it out and, and you, you know, you get rid of the stuff that doesn't work until you finally uh, come up with uh, the uh, piece that actually does the job and so on. It, it's interesting that thoughts are things. There's a lot of literature on that. And uh, with them being things, you, uh, you, you know that they, they can be real things that you can touch. So believing that, the energy almost attracts this, these molecules, atoms, almost like they... They, they want to be something that's complete, uni, unified. And it's almost like the basic universal love, wanting to be together, the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And that's a very universal, uh, basic attraction. But I don't know if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it does. And to me, and I'm curious, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, Napoleon Hill and some of the kind of positive psychology and, and learning and reading. And, and I, I'm a little curious, you know, where where do you think kind of the, was it just that you were always attracted to that kind of a learning? You're describing something intellectually that, you know, I think has 
developed over decades of being immersed in this world, this you know metaphysical world, or um, the many different kind of um, religious religious or other techniques that you've you know learned. Kind of back up a little bit and talk about you know how this piece of your life really found its way in, and maybe a little bit of the path through you know this kind of I don't know enlightenment you know journey that you're on. Yeah, I I uh, I think I was looking for God, believe it or not. Uh, you know, growing up Catholic, it was just a lot of stories, and and uh, and and you know, and the nuns. They were great and they'd tell you the stories and say, boy, that's really cool. And there was miracles and everything like that. But in, and I had a, my mind sort of is just practical. And, and so I, I have a big interest in science and technology and a big interest in philosophy. So these paths take you, uh, you know, the, the philosophy of, you know, uh, I think our two great commandments were love God with your whole heart and your mind and your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, all the other commandments were important, but those were the two great ones. So I knew about the first one, uh, I mean, the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Hard thing on that one is loving yourself. I found that mm-hmm. I asked more people about that golden rule and can, do you love yourself? And you get a lot of stuttering going on there. Mm-hmm. But it is hard to, find, to love yourself. People have so much expectations or, there's, or, or actually so much they don't, feel good about themselves. So loving yourself was, it was such a great statement because if you learn to love yourself and this is unconditionally, you can learn to love others. But if you've never, uh, if you don't love yourself unconditionally, that means you're allowed to screw up and you still love yourself. Uh, Or if someone never has loved you unconditionally, you really never know how to love unconditionally. So that, that second great commandment was, was, was great one. They, mm-hmm. they did a great job on that. Whoever wrote all that stuff down. But the mm-hmm. first one I couldn't get because, you know, in God we trust. And people use God like they know, everybody knows who God is. And it's usually a he. And in the, those days, it was he with a beard. And uh, he was very judgmental. And sometimes he was very angry in the Old Testaments. And, and, uh, and I, I said, well, who, I can't find, that's not God. Who's, who's God? What's God? And we personified him so much. And, uh, it didn't work until, um, I actually, after the, of the first commandment, the second, uh, great, the golden rule, I I was reading something from Rumi about tonight is about love. And I, I, um, and then John, I used to be a reader at church also. And it's in John's gospel, it says, a God is love. And then other disciplines that God is love. And I said, well, if God is love, well, then maybe love is God. And then I could get excited about that because mm-hmm. I, I'm- Love I, was something you could understand. I can, I can grasp that. Yeah. You know, love you, just mm-hmm. love in all the different forms, you know, mm-hmm. that goes from the very lowest form to, to the unconditional. And so uh, looking for God this time, I, the closest I could come to it was the, to a Godness was the unconditional loving universe. And that's, that's when this first great commandment, I could give, I can devote myself to that mm-hmm. with my whole heart, my whole soul. So that was, with that came the unconditional love. And 
that's a basis of mm-hmm. of evolutionary capitalism. Mm-hmm. And and before we get to that, I promise we will um, tell me along the way. You know, I know that um, you have worked with um, Buddhism. You've kind of studied different um, modalities, um, both you know, kind of from a meditative and physically. I know that. Um, um, Tibetan habits, you know, tell me, tell me some of the practices that you've experimented with, you know, which ones have really kind of found their way into shaping you and your kind of, you know, current spiritual practice. Early on, uh, I, um, after I got some time when the business is pretty good, I started searching for, um, for this God, for this making some more sense out of uh, Catholicism or even Christianity. Uh, and I started uh, reading everything I could about yoga philosophy, mm-hmm. the Eastern philosophy. And it made a lot of sense. It, it, it's, it's an ancient uh, belief. And uh, they talk about God as the absolute and so on. And, and so a lot of their, uh, uh, the books about uh, uh, the traditions of the Far East, I got, I got into reading book after book, almost. In fact, I was reading and, and flipping pages so fast, and I'm not a fast reader, but it seemed like I'd already read this before. And so I got really involved in in that uh, in that tradition, understanding that. Uh, then I met my, my wife, uh, Christina, and she was practicing Buddhism at the time. So then there was a, the, the method, you know, the reincarnation and both both disciplines believe in reincarnation. So I'm, I'm trying to say, how does that fit into Christianity and so on? And, uh, and how do you make sense out of it all? So then there was the, uh, the, the practice that I'm still doing is the integral transformative practice is, uh, is the uh, practice of balancing your body, mind, heart, and soul uh, evenly so that you can reach a conscious level to grow in consciousness because when they're in sync, you, you, your energy's up enough that you can, that you actually can take that level and grow with it, uh, towards, uh, I wouldn't call it necessarily enlightenment, but towards the higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. So you could understand it more. So all those learnings and practices all, all came in and are in this whole thinking, including quantum physics. It's so it's so great to have quantum physics allowing you to work miracles <laughs> that maybe they weren't miracles. Maybe it was just physics, you know, with a spooky attraction, K, 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 uh, order out of chaos, strange attractors. I just really enjoy it because it looks like the three technology and, and science and philosophy are coming together to to really show us how this universe really works mm-hmm. based on a, a strange attractor uh, that uh, brings order out of chaos, which mm-hmm. is the unconditional love. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about um, <laughs> unconditional love and agape capitalism. And, and, you know, before you kind of, you know, get into the specifics, what I'm, what I'm curious about is tell me a little bit about kind of you know where this is coming from, and um, we we can we can 
edit this if you yeah, want. I, I don't know how much you want to talk about the plant medicine, so I'll cut that oh. out. We'll edit that out if you, if you want. But No, I, I'm fine with it. Okay, good. So, so let's talk about kind of where these concepts are really starting to get clear for you and kind of not just what they are, but like how this came to be. Well, the, um, the, to get to the end, first of all, um, the frequencies, I, I really got involved with frequencies because of our energy, everything in, in the Eastern tradition, everything is vibrating or uh, the universe is vibrating. And then you go into the science of it, uh, molecules are vibrating. And, uh, so vibrations is, uh, frequencies, it's, uh, resonance, it's dissonance. And all these things made sense to me as, as even unconditional love, I believe, has a frequency. And I even financed a research project on searching out how you, we could uh, program unconditional love into artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So a lot of rolling of eyes. And, <laughs> and, uh, but we did put the word unconditional love out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, um, this, this is the kind of thing I think people... <laughs> don't know about you. I didn't know about you. You know, Jim Grody, uh, Southside Columbus, um, founder of, of, of Donato's pizza guy, you know, might be kind of the narrative, but there's actually this guy who's really underneath all of that, that is investing into programming unconditional love into artificial intelligence, which is just like, I think, really beautiful that you know, your, your, your heart is there and you're using your intellect to really think about how we, you know, go forward into the future, way into the future. You know, I don't think that's something a lot of people know about you, but I, I, I certainly admire that. Uh, thanks, Brett. I, I, uh, I, it, 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 the, the more your energy gets up and the more, the closer you get to the light, mm-hmm. but the closer you get there, the more, um, Things, things start to make sense. And all this apocalyptic talk about artificial intelligence, it doesn't have to be that way. And that's one of the things that uh, I threw it way out there. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's ethics and all the other things that we need to get in. Uh, but I threw it way out and we did get Sophia, the, um, the, um, mm-hmm. the robot, mm-hmm. to um, be the test project. Mm-hmm. project. And uh, so they had very interesting results out of that to be determined. Mm-hmm. But the uh, going into the discovery and getting into plant-based uh, uh, medicine was was a um, to me the that experience locked down a lot of the beliefs that I was wondering about, mm-hmm. uh, and so I had a uh, you know I'm pre-baby boomer, so uh, for me it's a six-pack of beer and. You know, we didn't have many, much bourbon or anything like that in those days. So mm-hmm. uh, that was it. And then the next, uh, then the, then the uh, baby boomers came along and they were smoking all this pot and so on. And all these guys working for me were smoking pot. Mm-hmm. So I never did. I said, hey, you guys, it's illegal. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I got a business. I, I just didn't do anything um, with it. And in fact, it was, it was like just a real taboo, anything to do with the drugs. And not too, not too very long ago, uh, uh, I was uh, a professor that uh, teaches comparative religion at Rice University. Was going to uh, Florida. Do you want me to tell that? Story? Yeah, I do. I think <laughs> I think it's really great. I want to um, just like highlight it for a second because 
you know, what you're about to share is your plant medicine journey. And that's probably not a story that many people know. And there's so much kind of, you know, I think it's, you know, kind of early stage again, right? This is mm-hmm. the, the new wave of the psychedelic movement in our country. And now it's being, I think, used a little bit differently. And so to hear, you know, somebody with your kind of um, background and your success and your presence in the community and in the world, you know, openly sharing your experience with plant medicine, I think is really important. So I thank you for sharing it. And um, yeah, let's tell the story. So um, uh, this um, <clears throat> this person was, uh, uh, inv- of course, a teacher, uh, a well-respected teacher at uh, Rice University is, still is. He's the chair of uh, one of the departments. But um, he was going to Florinopolis to give a lecture on rituals and comparative religion. And uh, so he's staying, he happened to be in Columbus and he's staying with us. And he says, you know, Jim, I got to go down there and I've never, I teach, I, I talk about rituals and I teach my students about different rituals around the, uh, around the world. But uh, they almost laugh at me because I've never done it, tried anything, you know? And I said, well, neither have I. And uh, we're a generational part, uh, part too. And uh, he, he said, uh, well, he, he went into the monk, he was a, a monastery right out of high school. And he just, uh, he's a brilliant guy, but he's, he's never tried it. So uh, there was, a, he said, well, let me check and see, maybe you could come with me. And there was one space open and, and Christina, who uh, she went through the, uh, the hippie generation and so mm-hmm. on. She says, you got to go down there mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, go to the retreat and, and see what, see what it's all about. So, um, so we went to uh, Florinopolis and uh, the shaman was an anthropologist and um, there was an ethnobotanist that was there teaching about plants. It was, it was really, it was a great learning experience because I, I just never was involved. And so, um, so they were doing, uh, they had, uh, were teaching, uh, they were talking about comparative religions, but uh, they also were uh, going to do a ritual, uh, the ayahuasca ritual, which is pretty common in, in South America, uh, and that we would be going through four sessions. And um, so he, they would tell you what to expect. Um, there was six of us that had not tried anything, and then others have been there back and forth. But uh, ayahuasca is a—it's—it's uh, it's called the the vine of death. It's—it's it's where you face your worst fears, mm-hmm. and uh, it could be the fear of death, it could be abuse, it could be alcoholism, and and some people go through this, and when they go through it, they come out, and they don't have that that addiction, or they don't have that fear. Even the fear of death, uh, in many cases, go goes away. Well. Um, so it was really controlled experience. They gave X 50 millimeters of, uh, tea and, uh, said, so start here and, you know, see, see how you feel. And then they, they play the music, uh, a lot of Latin music and different uh, classical music as well. Mm-hmm. And there were professors and architects and, uh, one guy was from John Hopkins, uh, Mm-hmm. And uh, an old, uh, he was the oldest guy there, and then I was—I mm-hmm. got to be second. <laughs> what were those old guys doing there? Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, experience was—I had no idea what to expect. 
but they said, make an affirmation that you, what you want out of this. And so a lot of people would say, you know, I want to get rid of, I have a fear of death or I have a fear I've been abused or, and and I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of those. I, I, so I said, I said, well, um, I want to, uh, be connected with the highest frequency and the brightest light of an unconditional loving you universe. So that was this real, it's, mm-hmm. I figured it was safe to go as high as I could go. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I had uh, these experiences were some, uh, some psychedelic, but there was experience of the plant inside, inside of me. And I was, I'm sure it was me talking to me, but I was talking to the plant lady who was probably some kind of a goddess or maybe, you know, the, the um, divine mother. Mm-hmm. But we had long conversations about uh, uh, humanity and uh, why they feel like they have to suffer. And, uh, and why do you take us plants in? And, uh, uh, and then you, so you can face your suffering. And she said, well, a couple thousand years ago, wasn't there somebody come down that died for all this mm-hmm. suffering? Why, why do you still think you have to suffer? Mm. And why are you making war against plants? Because mm. we have so much we can, we can do. We've been here since the earth was. Mm-hmm. And so I went through these sessions and uh, I think my fear was dancing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a real experience. Uh, mm. You you move around on the floor and mm-hmm. all this, and some people were just almost you know it's so so much distress. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for you, it for was... me, it was it was a really great experience. Yeah. And and then the unconditional loving that understanding came to me more clear mm-hmm. as a, a a oneness as a universe. Mm-hmm where you're cradled into a, an unconditional loving state. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I get there? I got closer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unconditional love is, 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 is the best I could explain it. Yeah. So, so, you, so you, you're having these conversations with the divine um, feminine mother. Um, and, and, you know, it's literally a conversation where you're in a, experiential back and forth that that's very real and and you're getting wisdom and insights into what you're should be doing why you're here what's happened uh reminders of of you know kind of history um and then this 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 kind of taste of uh this unconditional love this oneness and so Tell me a little bit about like, then what, you know, you, you bring that, that gets into your, into your body. Um, you know, it's in you now and, and starts to really, uh, propel you into, uh, your go forward, you know, explain a little bit about kind of, you know, how that really all really started to shift you and, and move you. Yeah. The, the experience, uh, uh, I guess because it was so real, convinced me that uh, that I found the closest of what I could find, what my my being could find. I found like God. That sounds mm-hmm. funny because you know everybody says I did this and I found God. Right. You know. Right. We, we but we 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 kind of like 
you know, as you just described, like, oh my God, you know, he's talking to this divine mother and he found <laughs> God. I mean, you know, he's on drugs, you know, yeah, like, this right. is, this is the narrative, but yeah. like, like you said, you know, when you first discovered way before plant medicine that, you know, God is love, love is God, you know, in, in some ways there, there's some like really simple concepts, but they are really profound and the medicine allows you to get the kind of, you know, clarity and depth and kind of, you know, truth around these things in a, in a embodied kind of way, mm-hmm. you know, is, was that, is that what you mean by that? I, I think the word is embodied. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I was always in my head and, um, and everything, it was real comfortable there because mm-hmm. everything you figure out there, you come to a solution and say, yeah, that's it. So emotionally, mm-hmm. and that's the, one of the practices uh, integral transformative practice was getting in touch with everything. And my emotions were always off a bit. I mean, it's like I would stuff them, but I would intellectually feel things. And uh, during that, uh, those sessions, I was, and that's why <laughs> I did dance before the, <laughs> before that was all over. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if that's the, how it stuck with me or not, but mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, but it exactly what it was, I was, um, I was doing a movement uh, that uh, is in the integral practice uh, from um, Aikido. And it's a movement where you shake uh, at, at uh, your uh, elbows and your wrist around your hip and you, you just shake your body. And I was doing that uh, on this, on the um, dance floor, the movement floor. And I, it was the last session and I was really thought I was going to, dance but I was still up in my head and my legs almost felt like they were giving out like I, I mm-hmm. said well I gotta go sit down I can't hardly stand up and I thought it was the drug or something so I just did that movement from a keto and pretty soon it's like blood it wasn't the blood but the energy flowed all the way from my head through my heart mm-hmm. and through my legs and so on and the movement and the music um, I was so bad with music that when people clapped I had to watch him <clears throat> so that I could bring my hands together at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was mm-hmm. like I was always a, a half a beat off or something. Mm-hmm. There was just like a block there, <laughs> energetic block. To yeah. Be able to, and that yeah. broke loose. And uh, mm-hmm. I um, first coming back, having a wonderful love for plants. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and as more real, uh, there, there, uh, there's a, consciousness that the earth has mm. and i and everything is so feels so much more connected and uh and, and with the plants the animals the uh, uh, music and, mm. and art all these things sort of opened up when my emotions opened up mm. or my feelings mm-hmm. so you know that that experience bringing it back it did it really did change mm-hmm. change change the way i felt about things mm. And and that was how many years ago did you do that? Uh, I was about, um, I was in uh, 70, I was about 72 or three, about three or four years ago, about mm-hmm. four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and so four or five years ago, you did the plant medicine and, um, you know, that, that really embodiment, you know, has stayed with you. Um, I find it interesting, you know, the dance piece too, because I think as you described, there was a lot of people in distress, you know, people are bringing different things into the journey, into the um, ceremony. And, and you're bringing um, what sounds like a lot of 
um, unconditional love into it. I mean, your intentions were there. There was a lot of kind of clean energy to begin with. You know, that's not the case for a lot of people. So yours is about energetic flow, about dance, about movement, about freedom, abundance, you know, um, says a lot about kind of who you were and what you were bringing into that space. And so let's, you know, we're going to run out of time here in a minute, but I want to make sure we kind of get to what what you've started to really do with that over the last few years. You know, you're going to edit a lot of this out. No, no, no. (laughs) You know, this is awesome. And we could do this for days and we sometimes do. Um, But, um, you know, tell me, you know, principles of agape capitalism, you know, kind of where you are, what you're passionate about now and kind of what you're you're doing, you know, with with all of this experience and, and wisdom. Yeah, we uh, we sponsored, uh, Christine and I sponsored a book called Evolutionary Love and the uh, Ravages of Greed and uh, by Adam Crabtree. And um, in that book, he uses agape, the Greek word love for love as the um, ultimate love and, uh, and that we humans are evolving towards that type of love. And that, that uh, eros, which is the uh, Greek word for... Uh, in fact, we use erotic, but it's the creativity coming out. That's the way he puts it, coming from love. And so, I mean, to the creativity from time, from that that uh, it's that where we uh, procreate. I mean, where it brings us together. It's uh, it's that passion. It's and then there's the, 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 so many divisions or so many levels of this eros, but it's creative love. And, uh, and it can be at the base creative love. In fact, it could be love of money, but it's very powerful and it is a love. But as you go up the scale and you go towards your physical creative creativity, your erotic influences, and then you go into higher uh, areas of love, of compassion and caring and um, empathy, these are all high energy loves and Till you eventually evolve and can get to the unconditionals, which we we do with our kids, and we experience it in um, uh, many different ways. And now I see how our pets are so important to us, but we're experiencing unconditional love from some of our pets. Mm-hmm. Mostly dogs, cats are a little bit contrary, but uh, <laughs> but we love them unconditionally. <laughs> right, right. So anyway, uh, what where where I uh, what I was seeing is that. If, if, if we could do business based on love, we would be evolving towards uh, not only the golden rule, but the compassion, the empathy, the caring, uh, and not just for customers, but for our people we buy from and for our associates, that we don't have to. There's lots of businesses that, uh, I mean, there's lots of types of capitalism, uh, social uh, capitalism, of course, and uh, uh, triple bottom line capitalism and all these ways to put money, take the profits and put back into society uh, and you agree to with your corporate structure. Uh, but this agape capitalism, it doesn't, it means you don't really have to change your business. You really just change your heart and the way you do business. And then the business will change towards mm-hmm. towards love, mm-hmm. towards uh, caring towards, uh, you know, more equality and, and the way we distribute our profits and so on, but not, but, but not forced, but it's because of the way we, the way we love, the way we change. And mm-hmm. so, on. so to me, 
um, I got back involved in the business and the golden rule was great standard. It's uh, brought us all the way, you know, in our business from 57 years ago, but I wanted to double down. And uh, I said, well, the next great commandment, the next great is loving with your whole heart, your whole soul and your whole mind. And so what would that be in business? But love, loving capitalism. So Mm. that's why it's called agape capitalism. Mm. It's uh, it's from the Greek word, mm-hmm. and just a real. I'm I'm going to do this. This sounds like a commercial. Go for it. <laughs> you, you've earned it. Let's do it. But uh, but uh, you know, I, it's just it's our little postcard here. We opened an innovation center based on uh, doing business uh, as agape capitalism. Yeah. So uh, anyway, as as I was saying, it's a Greek word um, for love and um, the highest form of love. Um, so agape capitalism is, is a way of doing business based on the power of love. And a lot of people say love and a power, you know, love is more giving and so on. But, but when you see what love does to people, you can see the hardest person turn when they pick up a baby in their hands and they have this love. It, it got the power to flip how a person feels. Um, I sound a little preachy here. I apologize. No, it's, it's um, beautiful. <laughs> I love it. It says where we aspire towards unconditional love. It says where the ethic of the golden rule is fundamental and in agape capitalism, where the free enterprise system is necessary for a free society. This all will have texture as we keep developing it, developing it. But as I see our societies, if we're able to keep our enter- enterprises free, everyone has a, has a chance to get to it. So mm-hmm. these startups in this way, mm-hmm. it's happening right now. It's really cool. So mm-hmm. it's open. And when it's open to everyone, everyone has these ideas. It just makes the mm-hmm. world a better place. Um, and then this is way going way back to where the imagination, creativity, and the power of belief create abundance. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine um, you you have the power of the imagination and you can create abundance in, in the, any form that you maybe can imagine. And uh, with the desire and the passion, that will bring this to you. And this abundance isn't just material things. It's abundance of, of love. It's abundance of empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. It's the abundance of all of life. Mm-hmm. And material things are, you know, you, you, you know once, once you get to, a state of having material things and everybody said, well, it's easy for you to say now, mm-hmm. but you almost, I did this. Uh, I had a goal when I was a kid uh, with, you know, you always made your goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started in business, by the time I 33, I said, well, I want to make $1 million, you mm-hmm. know? And so I added up everything and I saw my new house and, mm-hmm. and I added my paper out money and I came to one, $1 million, mm-hmm. but I looked around and it was a real gift, this lesson. And, and it sounds like, you don't have to go through all that to learn it. But I looked around and I saw this house and, and I made my goal and, mm-hmm. and, and I look and I says, but so what? Mm-hmm. Am I any different? Do mm-hmm. I, if, you know, mm-hmm. do, am I taller or am I stronger? <laughs> it's, it's like, mm-hmm. it, it was a big, it's important goal. Yeah. But then I learned that that just was a piece, mm-hmm. like you were saying, mm-hmm. it's, good to get to where you are. It wasn't, it wasn't who you were. It was what you had done. And um, that who is the, I am is, you know, the question that, you know, I think comes up a lot, you know, and, and um, who are we going to be? And, you know, what, what I think, 
I hope comes through in in what you just described, but I I've experienced it by being your friend and also just hearing you describe that there's this love that really is who you are. Um, it is God. It is divine. Um, it is the oneness. And therefore, you know, I think, um, you know, you are all of those things. That's my belief that, you know, we are all born into this, you know, lovingly, godly, divinely created energy. And that um, what I think is just clear as can be is you've come back to that. And that is who you are. And that is what you're doing um, here now. And so for that, you know, I thank you and I appreciate there, you sharing. There is one last thing, but, but yes. thank you for, I'm not all of that, but we are potentially all of that. Mm-hmm. But the last tenet of this is where Earth Day is every day. Mm. And finally, uh, you know, uh, here we are at the top of, the, we're, we're pretty cool species here. <laughs> Took a long time to get here, but mm-hmm. the Earth kind of says, hey, this is my shining glory mm. is, is humans. And, um, and so the earth is, uh, the, if you ever get a chance, it's called Novacine, but it's where the earth is a living organism and that it developed this immune system to uh, keep from burning up with its forests and water and so mm-hmm. on over, the, over billions of years. And, and now it's finally came up with a species that knows that it knows, mm. but we're all part of the earth. And, and so until, how could we not make Earth Day every day mm. where <laughs> the reason we're here. So mm. that's another story. All this stuff will, well, I, I need your help, by the way, in, oh, in, in, in defining these things. I'm, I'm on board. However I can be helpful is my pleasure. And um, I don't know where to, to uh, kind of go first if it's, you know, Jesus would make a great CEO or <laughs> Earth Day is every day, but there's a lot of great nuggets in there. And um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share, I, if you want to talk about the edge or anything that before we... Um, uh, wrap up here. Any final thoughts? No, we, we, I'm, I'm fine. I appreciate you giving me this much time. I usually, a lot of people are dozing off by this time. And so, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I could do this. Um, I love, love uh, being with you and hearing your stories. And, you know, I've, I've heard some of this before, but it's, it's just as enjoyable to hear it from you today. And I, and I know it will be for other people. So, uh, thank you for being such a good friend and uh, good support to what we're doing here at Gravity and for all that you're doing around the world and for so many people. And uh, it's just awesome to spend some time with you. So thank you. Thank you, Brett. You are a great friend. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 